Rennie's log. I'm calling home to my mom today. I think it'd be really neat to see what sciencey stuff she's up to. I think she's just the best sciencey scientist that's ever scienced. And really, oh, oh, well, that's a pretty thing in the sky. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to as we talk about the silicon monster at the heart of all of Star Trek's fandom, the lovely fractal fucker that fucks with everything that we've known, and uh, we get to see Captain Picard decide that aliens who kill indiscriminately deserve communication too. And apparently no one else agrees except me. I think Captain Picard had the whole thing right. Here we are, a bunch of Gen X Stoners, actors, performers. I don't want to put anything in anybody's mouth, but I can't wait to get back to the States and have myself a joint. <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> I am joined by my cultural bridge officers. How you doing all? Kate Yeager, what's up? I am excited because you are excited and that excites me. Well, that's perfect because have I got a shit show for you. <laughs> Greg Tito, how you doing, buddy? I am excited. It's, it's, it's 10 o'clock in the morning here, but I am uh, smoking a joint with you in my mind. <laughs> Love it. Jimmy G, what's up, man? I say as you take a drink of stuff. Sorry about that. Nah, no worries. Just having my, my morning cup of joe. Ah. Excited to talk about the mini phaser settings and double entendre. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like there's only one entendre all the way through. <laughs> the subtlety is, only one. is right. not present. <laughs> Um, we, <laughs> we are, of course, talking about Silicon Avatar. I don't think I introduced myself. I am Eric Curry, your host. I'm all over the place today. Actually, I'm in Mumbai, and uh, <laughs> that's only one place. So we're talking about Silicon Avatar, the fourth episode of the fifth season of Star Trek The Next Generation. The in-universe star date is 4512. 2.3. The episode is uh, teleplay by Jerry Taylor, who is a Star Trek uh, legend, of course. Story by Lawrence V. Conley, who has no other story by writing, directing, editing, acting, any other credit known to personhood. Uh, and is directed by Cliff Bowl, known as the namesake of the Bolian race. And we did, of course, speak of Mott, the uh, bald... Um, Barber, in the last episode, I found in a deep dive today that uh, the Bolian men are all, to a man, bald. So it is very neat to have um, the, the hairdresser be Bolian. All right. We <clears throat> are enjoying ourselves in every aspect of the world. So what were they enjoying themselves with way back in 1990-something, Greg? It was October 14th, 1990-something. And it, not too much going awesome. on. So so we'll go quick through this one. But on uh, October 13th, the day before this, the manager of the Toronto Blue Jays, Cito Gaston, uh, one of my favorites uh, playing against him in that era, was ejected from a playoff game. And he's the first manager to have that distinction, which I thought was uh, was pretty great. Really? Billy Martin was never ejected during a playoff game? I am touched. Apparently not. Uh, and I also, one little factoid about Cito Gaston, he was about, set to retire uh, in like 2011 or 2012 or something like that. And he was ejected from his, not final game, but penultimate game, the second that he was ejected. I'm like, that's great, right? To have an umpire be like, get out of here. I know you're retiring, but you can't be a jerk. Uh, I gotta be me. Exactly. That's fantastic. What else was going on? Just one more thing. Uh, closing the loop on uh, one of our favorite Supreme Court justices. Clarence Thomas was actually confirmed on October 15th after all of the controversy from the previous two weeks with uh, law professor Anita Hill testifying against him. 52 to 48, he was confirmed in the Senate. Fuck that judge. Fuck that judge. Hopefully we'll get to more happier stuff happening in the real world next week. But that's all I got. Well, thank you, Greg Tito. Kate Yeager, why don't you tell me what was happening with uh, the things that people like? Well, Emotions by Mariah Carey remained number one on the pop charts, but the modern rock charts gave us Give It Away Now by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. <gasps> and I'm going to wow. do a dramatic reading as a concerned parent reading through the lyrics. <clears throat> 
What I got, you got to give it to your mama. Oh, okay. What I got, you got to <laughs> give it to your papa. Well, that's nice. What I got, you got to give it to your daughter. Do a little dance, then you drink a little water. Well, so far, everything is fine. What I've got, you got to get it, put it in you. Oh, my. What I got, you got to get it, put it in you. Oh, dear. What I got, you got to put it in you. Reeling with a feeling, don't stop. Someone call Tipper Gore. (laughs) (laughs) And that is my dramatic reading of Give It Away Now by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Well done. I have visceral memories of driving around in Matt Clark's 1978 Buick Riviera, blaring that one the entire album out those fucking windows and the sunroof. Thank you, Matt Clark. Continue, Kit Yeager. Nice. The Fisher King uh, continues to be number one on the movies, but a little movie that could, tried, Ernest Scared Stupid was released, but somehow (gasps) didn't quite make it to number one. (laughs) Was that the fourth Ernest movie? Oh. Or the third? Who can tell? We'll never know. And in the theater world on Broadway, most happy fellow closed. Uh, so that is our pop culture moments. Pop culture. That's the best stinger yet. Yes. Other than whatever other stingers you've done. Thank All you. brilliant. Jimmy G, please tell me what was happening. A back set. Uh, well, as you mentioned, this is the one shot of Lawrence V. Conley. He's uh, actually an Oregonian uh, who drove down to L.A. to pitch this, um, and there were to be no more sequels, meaning not playing off of anything else they had already done in earlier seasons of TNG until this Moby Dick premise was laid before them and they just couldn't resist. Big question for the episode is uh, Silicon Avatar, the crystalline uh, entity, or Data? As we know, Ooh. Avatar can be God on Earth or Repository of Knowledge. Something to kick around in the next hour. Yeah, I, I knew that. <laughs> the entity showing up at the planet to load up on calories was done by adding 18-inch miniature trees to the foreground after the live fleeing of the colonists. Uh, and where was the live fleeing shot? Well... Malonia 4, because the other three Malonias are so good they had to keep the name going. Home to just a handful of sentient people, and at least one double entendre was shot on the Disney farm in Santa Clarita, Hmm. uh, which we know is also home to vampires. (laughs) And zombies. uh, We will talk about um, the phaser phaser settings uh, in just a bit. And that is all from the Nemesic Files. Jimmy, about 12 times in this episode, I'm like, I wish I was sitting next to Jimmy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's not uncommon for me as a reaction, but that's what we get. All right, I'm going to talk quickly about the uh, guest stars in this episode. We have to talk about the doomed Carmen, uh, played by Susan Dial. She had quite the guest star career. She played Dan Fielding's sister Donna on Night Court. And in the nose job episode of Seinfeld, she was Audrey who had the nose job. She also did Wings. She was a, a, in Voyager several times in addition to Star Trek The Next Generation and played Beth, the wife of Al on both the original Quantum Leap and the reboot slash revival. She gradu- <laughs> graduated from Otterbine College, which I always bring up because my goodness, what a fantastic theater feeder school. And she continues to work to this very day. Good work, Carmen. We'll miss you. Dr. Marr is the legend, Ellen Gear. Uh, fascinating family history. I love to bring up communists because I come from communists and I love when other people come from communists. Uh, her grandmother founded the Communist Party of the US. Her great Whoa. uncle was the head of the largest and most extensive single spy ring for the Soviet Union in US history. Her parents were acting, le- yes. Her parents were acting legends, Herta Ware and Will Gear. Uh, Herta was fantastic in Cocoon as Maury's wife, and Cocoon the Return, of course. She played Picard's mother in the first season of Star Trek The Next Generation, which makes Willow Gear, Elena's daughter, who was in Picard season one, the first tri-generational acting family in Star Trek history. Wow. Will Gear, her father, was in the original cast of Cradle Will Rock on Broadway and was a Louis Woody Guthrie confidant who introduced Woody to one Pete Seeger. 
He was blacklisted for refusing to name communists in testimony in front of Congress and eventually came roaring back as Grandpa Walton. Um, just a legendary family. Ellen, she was a founding member of the Guthrie Acting Company, playing St. Joan, among others, a regular on the Jimmy Stewart Show, while also shining in the masterpiece Harold and Maud. Tons of guest spots throughout her career and has currently and continues to serve for 45 years as the artistic director of the Will Gear Theatricum Botanicum in Topanga Canyon, a very famous uh, theater in Southern California where they just did a very happy and critically acclaimed production of Macbeth, capital L acting legend, Ellen Gear playing the dog of a character, Dr. Marr, and somehow making it work. All right, we begin with a pastoral setting, as we often do. This one, of course, reminds me of the place they tried to kill Wesley for breaking a pane of glass. There are tripods and little posts with lights on top, so you know something's going on. There's a big glass computer table. It's all very Buck Rogers and early Doctor Who, and I'm super here for it. <laughs> surprise, surprise, Riker is talking to a young lady. So we find out the site they're looking at is the site of a future expansion of a Federated colony on the new planet. Well, what happens right away? We turn to flirts, Jimmy mentioned, and so did Kate, the double entendre nature that is so double that it uh, waves back upon itself and becomes only a single. Riker says, this looks like a great place to turn down and put down roots. And the as yet unnamed young woman says, you don't strike me as the kind of guy who puts down roots if you get what I mean, wink, wink. <laughs> Riker, of course, says, oh, how do I strike you, wink, wink. And she says, as a free spirit and adventurer. Well, aren't you an adventurer at heart? As I know all explorers are. Of course, she says, but we also have a very wide eye nesting instinct. <laughs> the joy that comes of making home, pause, having children, long pause. Turns out Riker would like to discuss this further, perhaps over dinner. I mean, he doesn't have any children over the last couple of seasons with any of the guest stars, we assume. It's time to time to shoot out a couple more young Rikers. So she says, we can share camp rations and bring that bottle of wine that I happen to know you brought. And you know I provide the most wonderful desserts, bite lower lip. Surprise, surprise. Yes, Kate Yeager. Just this scene is filthy. It's, filthy. <laughs> it's porn. It's porn. And I'm here for it and I love it, but it is filthy. Yes, it is the best part of this episode. Yes, she says she says I provide the most memorable of desserts. <laughs> That's my favorite part. That's right. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, he does. It's Riker's unsurprising favorite part of dinner and finally we are all saved from this by the arrival of the voice of Beverly Crusher and the very subtle startle uh, reaction of the two flirtatious young people, thereby even making sure Data knows what's going on. Um, <laughs> I'm, I feel bad for her lip. I feel like she actually chewed through her lip through that entire scene. <laughs> the director was like, bite harder. <laughs> I love it. Immediately, we are interrupted by a rumble we go right to Data. What's going on? Is there weather? No. Data doesn't recognize the sound, but it's coming from above. Holy shit. It's the crystalline entity. The big snowflake is back. Data knows about some subterranean caverns because, of course, we ask him first, not the people who've been living there. <laughs> and here we go. What happens next? There we are with the first scene. What do we think? I need a shower. It's unique in that we do not start with any sort of captain's log or officer's log or anything like that. It, it breaks away. It's, of course, not unique, but it's rare in the annals of Star Trek The Next Generation. <laughs> um, <laughs> also a good dessert. Memorable, I believe. Memorable. Yeah. Quite, quite memorable. We haven't had Riker get his horn dog on in a long time. So no. it, it felt good. It felt like a return to form. Even before they got to the Entendre stuff, like his whole body language is like, here I am. I'm, look at me. I'm a man. <laughs> He's ready for it. He John Wayne's up his already heavily John Wayne'd walk in this episode, I have noticed. Yes, Kate. I have to say, I give big kudos for allowing a horny woman, right? Like she is just unabashedly, unapologetically horny and it's 1991 
And that was on my television, which is pretty <laughs> spectacular when you think about it. And human, not an alien horn dog. Right. Which happens once in a while, but they allow a human woman to have horn feelings. <laughs> so we come back after this beautiful, still semi-new to us opening uh, credit sequence. And Riker's in charge once more. I know he has the rank, but again, he doesn't know this planet and he just keeps going this way, this way to everyone who will listen. It's no idea where they're going. They all just follow the robot. Like he, they don't need this kind of help. Data runs like a like a like a person. Uh, this is this is one part where I'm like, yeah, that's just Brent Spiner running. That's not that's not Data running. He was all <laughs> over the place. He was like, didn't really have a good like. I feel like he would be like, you know. Uh, you uh, yeah, T two. <laughs> yeah, he should be like Tom Cruise, Mission Impossible running. When when Brent Smider was running, I was like, I wonder if they told everybody like you have to run behind Data because we have to make it look like it's effortless for him <laughs> and not for you. Everybody else should be running like Phoebe from Friends, right? And then Eric, to your point, when it's Riker's yelling this way, this way, I was like, I felt the same way as he was like, dude, we know. We're the ones who cut the stairs into the cave. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's perfect. Um, and the crystalline entity has lasers. Holy shit. They mow the lawn right next to our, uh, next to our lovely uh, colonists. And they have uh, the snowflake has bad aim initially, which is lucky for everyone. Oh, no, an old man fell down. I think he's warm meat. Not only an old man, but why is there a child there? There are many people on this surveying planet that I am like, look, I am all about allowing families to have things. But like in this moment, there is a tiny child and an old man and we are being slowed down. <laughs> That's the other thing. They need Riker there to carry the child and hand it off to Data. It's very important. That kid did not want to be <laughs> handed off too. Like that was like the best acting of the entire episode where he's like, no, I don't want no, to be Riker. He wants mom, <laughs> who is probably Carmen. Yeah. Oh, here we go. Riker is the kid's dad. Oh, yeah, that's canon. From a previous time. See, yeah. this makes sense. No, that's just how potent he is. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the child's born a nine-year-old. <laughs> it's an extremely memorable dessert. <laughs> well, Carmen plays hero, goes back for the old man, and uh, she's much faster than Riker. So uh, we get to see Carmen and the old man destroyed. Oh, no, the love of Riker's life gone in the same instant in which they met. Awful. We are back on the bridge of the Enterprise. Picard calmly walks out. Oh, nothing going on here. To be told of an unnamed and unquantifiable disturbance by Mr. Worf. What do you mean disturbance? I don't know. <laughs> Could be weather. I, it's just, I don't know. It's it's disturbed. Okay, well, let's go like, let's go like warp eight. No big deal. You know, LaForge has some readings too. Nothing, something strange. Who the fuck knows? It's a long way away. Warp 8 is fine, I'm sure. When we go back to the planet, keep moving, say the officers, saving the lives of colonists once again. My goodness, I'm a little cynical about this episode by now. Uh, it is unfolding so far. It just seems like lazy ad-libs, like, uh, come here, down the stairs, come on, come on, this way, just over and over. Just terrible. But Jimmy, once we get down into the bottom of the cave, we immediately... Get a new phaser setting. Tell me all about it. Yes. Well, and this is debatable. I think it is a new laser setting, at least the opposite of one that we already have. So just to um, refresh uh, our, our, our minds about these phaser settings, we have stun, Please. kill, cut through the door, heat up rocks, head explode, aqueduct demolition, smelt ore, and overkill. But I would argue <laughs> that make door should be added into this. So we have cut through door, also make door. And in just a few moments, we have heat up rocks. But now we also can add to that light bulb because heating <laughs> up rocks only provides ambient light, not an actual fluorescent source, which uh, they obviously do with this one. So now everybody of the TNG universe, we have 10 total settings Oof. on a standard wow. Federation phaser. That's a good value. What about collapse tunnel? Collapse tunnel? Take away door. They do that as well. Take away door. Well, I think make door and um Oh, they're opposite settings. 11th, I would I think 
cut through door and make door encompasses all doors, all door <laughs> and door adjacent settings. <laughs> all right, I like that. I like that. No room, no room for more settings as yet, unless you prove the actual necessity. Yes, because if the dial could go to eleven, that would be great. <laughs> We're working on it. There's no way this is the last phaser <laughs> setting. Yes, Kate. I love that the moment they close the door, Beverly very loudly in front of everyone goes, let's hope there's enough air in here. And I'm like, just chill. <laughs> like, be cool for five fucking seconds. <laughs> and Riker very scientifically says, oh, I'm sure there's ventilation somewhere. As if he hadn't just destroyed the most obvious ventilation source. It's it's all science. There's got to be another way out. If there's a way in, there's two ways out. We know that. And all the colonists are heavy breathing, too, at this point, too. So she's like, oh, yes. conserve. Don't breathe they as just much. just ran their asses off. They did. I know. It seems cruel. Well, Carmen didn't make it, and Dr. Crusher's very sorry. And Riker's like, eh. And tells everyone, stay put, don't be a hero. There's probably no air. So everybody's like, eh. Just hold your breath as long as you can. Yes, and immediately after telling everyone to stay put, he goes exploring and stares at a room that we never get to see. He just stares at that room, and we cut. He's thinking of Carmen in that moment, right? Like he, He's like, oh, remember her? We were going to do it. Memorable desserts. What was it? What was that dessert? He had to go into a different room to remember her. Yeah, he had to go into a cavern with a hole to remember her. What did he do when the camera left? Dr. Crusher is, uh, oh, okay, back on the Enterprise. Picard is pacing. That's how you know he's worried. <laughs> they still, like, they're six hours away, and he's just standing there pacing. He's going to do that for six hours. Seems, seems like that's going to make people really nervous. Still unknown disturbances, but they're becoming more intense. It's more intense disturbance. It's like you're watching a movie, and you're upset at what has happened, but you hear the music, so you know you should be more upset. And uh, that's where we are right now. <laughs> so he says, fuck it, go to warp nine, we'll get there in six hours now. We go back to the planet, Dr. Crusher is pointing her medical thingy and says she has one man unconscious and we can't stay here much longer. Are we to assume that he's unconscious because of the now high carbon uh, dioxide level, or he just like ran too much? He was drinking. <laughs> ah. Yes, the flask, the hip flask, an unstated villain to many consciousnesses. The entity may be gone, they say, but the entity may be waiting, they say. Oh no, there's a crash. I think it's the entity, but there's a repeated crashing sound. Some of the rocks start coming down the tunnel. We are terrified until we see it's a familiar face. And there is Commander Worf, Lieutenant Worf, I'm sorry, Commander soon enough. Jordy is in uh, work right there with him to the rescue as Riker and Data exit the cave to be confronted with a barren landscape. The crystalline entity has eaten the whole planet like a little Galactus. <laughs> we are unhappy, but uh, all of the colonists and survey team are alive, except for, you know, Carmen. So here we go. What do you guys think about the painting that we are confronted with when we leave? What's what's your thoughts on the barren landscape? That matte painting is great. I loved it. Everyone's sad, but I was like, yeah, yeah. let's see more destruction. It's like Hieronymus <laughs> uh, uh, Bosch's uh, triptych there. Like it feels like you're looking at hell. Uh, very cool. Yeah, agreed. On the high def screens that we're now watching, it looks very obviously a matte painting, but a gorgeous one. We are about to be introduced in Captain's Log by uh, that we are to be joined by Dr. Marr, who has studied the crystalline entity. She immediately brings up data as a hint to what she might be thinking. It's not subtle where she's going with all of this. Uh, but we are introduced to Ellen Gear. She is a uh, familiar face, and we are in good hands. Um, she's very excited to get to work, and I immediately don't trust her. Did you all have the same kind of uh, reaction on meeting Dr. Marr? Oh, for sure. Well, she seemed giddy, right? Like, if you meet her, it's like, you know, something really bad just happened, and your excitement <laughs> level here is not appropriate. <laughs> oh, couldn't agree more. We go right to the observation lounge. Her smile falters every time Data begins to speak. It's very subtle. The uh, Perhaps you didn't notice it. The crystalline energy entity functions, she says, like a gigantic electromagnetic connector, a matter energy converter. Uh, all, all that wonderful techno babble. Uh, this is the 11th reported attack, we find out. And every time Data talks, it looks like she is passing a stone. I wonder where that will lead. 
Um, she, it's very obvious. Like she does not, she like recoils in, in pain. Like his, his words are, are hurting her. It's very uh, obvious. Yeah, it's awkward as fuck. <laughs> she says she plans to interview all the survivors and would like to inspect the remains of the planet. She'd prefer not to be accompanied by Commander Data, if you please. Picard basically says, fuck off. I'm sending Data with you anyway. Crusher has a moment where she gives a beautiful little fucking awkward smile at the end of the meeting, and it's wonderful. I thought during this scene there was one really poor directing moment because um, Dr. Marr is obvious that she doesn't want Data around. She does a little thing with her eyes that none of the other actors take in at all. Um, and, I mean, that's just glaring. Like You have to take that in. That's a person on fire on stage. Um, so the director should have been like, don't do this. We, we don't need it. Or they should have had to, hey, she's making a big deal about this. So somebody needs to take it in that, you know, she's being a little bit of a bigot here. Right. Or worse, they said, hey, I don't know if anyone's going to get this. Would you make a big deal about it? Right. That's right. probably the thing. That That's almost certainly what happened. Was I will say that I there's that moment of Dr. Crusher at the end where everybody is starting to get up and she just kind of smiles with big eyes like, what the fuck just happened? So I, I felt like she did it, but, but she was in the background and I think the right. director maybe didn't notice it. <laughs> she just snuck it in like, please. And then Troy... Has the oh, yeah. yeah? Her best line is like, "You don't need me to tell you that she's a little bit uncomfortable around Data." I was like, "Yeah, that's pretty much your entire role, though, Troy. We don't that's really that's how we feel, Troy." <laughs> I thought of you, Jimmy, on that line too. So we immediately go back down to the tunnels, and she's pointing her science device at all the little rocks, and ignoring Data's input. Uh, Data, as always, is the adult in the room, surrounded by bigots. I love that he takes it right to her. You have made it clear that you hate me, but we can't move forward with what you say uh, you want to do unless you get the fuck over it and stop acting like a child, he says. I am paraphrasing. <laughs> then she acts more like a child and says, if you say something worth responding to, I shall respond. <laughs> oh my goodness, what a tiny little person. It's lovely. Um, she ignores all the science stuff that Data suggests and goes right to you. You did this, Data. It was you. And he denies it. And she says, you don't understand what I mean. And he says, no, I get it. I'm not dumb. I'm just not lore. <laughs> and she then outwardly says that she's upset that she hasn't pissed him off with her lazy accusations. It's delightful. Um, so immediately we now hear that her son died on Omicron Theta, which I would think would be like leading her CV as people talk about her and her work. Like she's, like like she says, it's Moby Dick. And it is very clear to the rest of us that that's what motivates her. And I would think that at this point, it would be very clear to Starfleet as well. But what do I know? Maybe the rest of the time she has acted like, you know, a scientist. And uh, being this close to Data fucks her up. Who knows? We'll never know. So she even goes to the point of saying that she threatens Data with disassembly uh, if he gets in the way of her work, which, I mean, who the fuck are you? <laughs> you don't get to disassemble Data. Right. It was toothless. It was a, <laughs> yes. a toothless threat. Like, get out of here. <laughs> you ain't got that power. Especially after establishing the fact that he's not going to be phased by what she says. Like, she almost is like, let me test this. Let me go yeah. as as childish and and threatening as I possibly can just to see whether or not I'll get a rise out of him. And it fails miserably. And it's somehow like, I don't really know what she was attempting to, to, to get out of it for herself. She's just lashing out because she's hurting. Trying to make a tough script work. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I get you, sister. Um, right. So we are in engineering, and she then takes Jordy to task for missing her soil samples. And because Jordy's not an asshole, he compliments her for her handling of the engineering computers. He's <laughs> like, oh, um, well, that's awkward. Hey, you're really good with that one-handed computer stuff. Kate. And I immediately was like, that is going to come in later. Like, that is that was a very... <laughs> Like, I don't know, heavy handed moment, I felt oh, like where the yeah. the view of what she was doing and, and how they made I was like, oh, she's good at computers. Note that. But maybe I'm just very smart. <laughs> I miss yes. that, Kate. But now that you say it, it's like, oh, that's a ton of bricks. Of course. Canon. <laughs> well, at this point, too, I she was acting so suspiciously in this scene with the gamma radiation test or whatever they're like we should test for it. and she's like well mm -hmm. i don't even know what you're gonna find so you probably shouldn't even do that and that was where i was like 
did she lure the crystalline mm. entity to this colony mm. with some gamma stuff? Like I had that moment of, is she so you know singular in her approach to try to get this whale that she didn't care about these colonists and kind of set them up? And maybe you thought maybe it would kill Data in the process because knew, she knew that he was on the planet and something like that. So like I was like not sure where this episode was going. Even though I remember this episode, I didn't. I was like asking all the questions here. Greg Tito with a much better episode in his head than the <laughs> one that we ended up being gifted with. <laughs> I love it. it we work. are gifted with some great geological gobbledygook, though. Data has the idea that Greg was talking about. Maybe we can track uh, gamma radiation and uh, use that to uh, discern a pattern in the attacks or in the behavior of the crystalline entity, which I like to say very much. <laughs> then Jordy, you know, does it anyway, even though the doctor's like, no, fuck you, gamma radiation, no. And we find the perfect evidence immediately. Good work, Data. It was the Hulk. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was the Hulk, or at least Doc Savage. <laughs> Doc Sampson, I guess. Doc Savage is DC. Doc Sampson is the gamma-irradiated psychiatrist in uh, the Marvel comics. We go to a walk and talk with Data and the Doctor. Of course, we are going to the Wonka Vader several, several times in this episode <laughs> to have the deep conversations. She kind of gets Data talking about some research that a scientist on Omicron Theta was working on regarding gamma. And she said, well, I've read his stuff and I didn't know that. And Data's like, you haven't read the stuff I've read. They gave me everything of the, the colonists on Omicron Theta, their personal diaries, their letters home, even some of the synaptic responses of their brain patterns. Holy shit, remember her son was killed on Omicron Theta. I'm sure that won't come up. Uh, we get to the bridge again, and we're going through some ideas. Data has figured out two possibilities as to where the crystalline entity may be going. And of course they pick the one where there are people. Good choice. I think that's probably wise if you want to, you know, save people. Uh, the doctor has, of course, thought up a firing pattern of photon torpedoes that will kill the crystalline entity because she's also a weapons expert. She is, in fact, Ahab in every sense. <laughs> she doesn't even need a crew. Just put her in a shuttlecraft and she'll fuck this thing up. She wants it dead. Picard is about to read her for filth about that. We do not do this. We are not hunters or revengers. Firing on the enemy is a last resort, he says. Oh my God, imagine an actual military person high up these days thinking that way. But back then, you had people actually in positions of power that might actually have spoken that way. It's nice. Less worry than we've been in the last 20 years. <laughs> so Sean Connery in Hunt for Red October, a little bit more of the, the thinking person's commander. Right. Before uh, the Republicans started trying to get rid of the, uh, the Powell Doctrine and other, other kind of issues with people who had, you know, read about war. Anyway, uh, what the fuck do I know? I'm an actor. Uh, <laughs> I'm just talking shit. I really love Picard's points here, though, too. I mean, he really just he sums it up like this entity has much of a right to be here than we do. Uh, and I think it's such a, a really strong point uh, that she just glosses completely over. I will say also, though, when if he knows that her son was killed, comparing them to cuttlefish, not the like best <laughs> metaphor right like that's where he lost me i was like no 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 you just compared but he had to bring in the whale metaphor it was the yeah had to be nautical star trek oh, and true. whales <laughs> and because of moby dick uh star trek and whales are natural allies as we found out uh not too long before this uh series began transparent aluminum oh computer <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, I was doing my notes in voice, so it says right here, pick a dog. Uh, I'm sure it says means Picard. Uh, <laughs> he says the crystalline that he has as much work right to be here as we do. Yes, it was Picard who said that, not a dog. Um, I would argue that its collaboration with Lore made it a little more complicated than it being a whale, but you know, what do I know? We cut to Data in his room playing classical guitar. And when the doctor shows up, I was positive we were going to find out that the doctor's son played classical guitar, but they don't do that. Mm. Jimmy is having apocalyptic thoughts watching Data's facial expression while he plays classical guitar. I was. And yes, Jimmy, I will say he has subroutines. <laughs> I absolutely was. 
<laughs> he's he's watched enough Santana to know the faces <laughs> you're supposed to make when you play guitar. Oh, <laughs> the doctor has come to apologize to Data, and he is, of course, kind about it because he is not a child. They start collaborating, but we also know she's about to ask about the son. So she says, mm -hmm. do you have anything from my son? And he, uh, she kind of asks it straight out, which is nice. You know, stop beating around the fucking bush and come right to it. He does have some letters and things of Rennie, her son. Rennie was my grandfather's name. So they start to win me over about this particular time. She needs to know whether he blamed her. And Daddy's like, for what? And she's like, well, for all of the shit that I did and for abandoning him to be murdered. And he's like, oh, no, no, I, he didn't write anything while he was being murdered. So we don't know if he blamed you, but he was very <laughs> proud of your sciencing. And uh, Riker interrupts right before they're about to smash and uh, brings them to the bridge where they hear a ship distress call. Fully functional. As they are pursued by the crystalline entity. Come on, that's canon. They were about to smash. <laughs> the forgiveness in her heart made her horny. Oh, trauma bonding. Ahab and yes. Ishmael, they got it. They got it on. Everyone knows. <laughs> they did. <laughs> well, you know what went on on those long ocean journeys with all one gender, and let's not beat around the bush. Chris Elliott taught me about that. Picard says, "Take evasive action, ship. <laughs> You're in space. Certainly, you can just go around in circles, and the crystalline entity will lose sight of you." After the commercial, we find out that the screams do indeed mean that the ship. Uh, has no living uh, molecules left inside it. There was an away team led by Riker, and when he returns to the bridge, having visited the ship, no trace of anything that has been alive. We're going to go back on the trail and head after the crystalline entity, and Doctor and Data go back to work. And we head to the Wonkavator, and the Doctor now finds it easier to talk to Data, and she's been re-disturbed about the loss of her son, having witnesses witnessed the loss of all that shit on the ship. She wonders whether her son called out for her at the end, and this scene is pretty hardcore. I love how deeply emotional so many scenes get in the Wonkavator. There's heavy lifting in that turbo lift, for sure. Like, there just seems there to is. be, like... This is where, and you know, I, we kind of follow them in, and then it's like this is you. I don't know if it was the actors themselves or the way it was directed, but you you knew that there was going to be some emotional, uh, uh, you know, conversation happening here. Like her her vulnerability is very palpable. Yeah, it was humid in there. Definitely. We go to the ready room where Riker is asked whether he wants to enclose a letter to, with Carmen's personal effects to her family. And would anybody like to take a take a swipe at what that letter might say? Dear Mr. and Mrs. Carmen, your daughter and I almost smashed. Love, Will Riker. <laughs> yeah. I'll always remember like, the possibility of us having just desserts. Oh, just incredible. Just incredible. Um, Riker turns out to agree with Dr. Marr that we should destroy the crystalline entity. Picard's like, well, I don't know. I think you're thinking about your girlfriend. And Riker <laughs> says, no. <laughs> and then does that John Wayne walk out of the ready room. Yeah, he got pissed. <laughs> you're <there>. wrong, sir. <laughs> the doctor and Data work on a way to communicate with the entity. As ordered, she asks for what she, he knows about Ronnie's, Rennie's thoughts. Well, Rennie played Parisi squares with his teammates. Mom says he was great at that. I, I don't know if that's a real thing. I know that my phone knows the word Parisi, so maybe it is, but I didn't look it up. Oh, it's been it's been a, a, a sport they've talked about a couple of times on the show. Uh, uh, I think even back when yeah. Yar was on the ship, she was with uh, uh, Worf. They were going to play Parisi squares. And then even, I think Riker says he learns it from his father too early, uh, and, and they have that battle the episode where they fight yeah it gets beat down mm. all right fair enough he was a badass young man i like how the di dialogue let him uh do the research and and discuss rennie's thoughts I, I had a good time with that uh she didn't know he had a girlfriend uh he thought she was hot and that made her kind of smile <laughs> it made data kind of uncomfortable right because there is all that sexual tension between the two of them Right, he he said that he liked her physical attributes, like, and he's like a little yes. bit nervous saying it to her. I was like, that was a very human uh, subroutine that he was following there. Well, he's fully functional, but he doesn't quite know whether this is a situation that calls for it because he <laughs> thinks it might be. Would you like me to tell you about the physical attributes as I understand them to be? <laughs> <laughs> so the only rec recollections he can access, she wonders if he can talk to her in his voice, maybe something from his journals. This is kind of an incredible thing to think about if you've lost someone. Like, uh, 
the first, one of the first things I did when my dad died was email myself every voicemail that I still had on my phone from him. Uh, and it's really a powerful and kind of wonderful thing to revisit. Um, Data chooses a letter from Rennie to her and reads about school and a trip with his friends. And he misses her sense of humor, which is a nice line because we have not seen it. And that shows us kind of the the journey her character has been on since the death of her son. And I think that's a, a nice little moment of which yeah. there are too few in this episode. Uh, after the commercial, we learned that the Enterprise is approaching the crystalline entity's interception point. Picard is unsure about what is to happen. The doctor suggests that she start sending the graviton beam as planned, but early because it might be a lure to draw the entity to us. Make it so, which is just every time I'm happy with make it so. Here come the entity. Large mass approaching at warp speed. Shields up. The doctor says it's beautiful. I'm like, you've definitely seen pictures of this thing before, but I get you. It is pretty. Digital fractals, uh, snowflake. It, it, it does look lame, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it tries so hard with the visual effects to make it work, but it, at, at its core, it's a snowflake coming closer to the camera, uh, which I, it, the majesty of it is kind of lost uh, to me. I liked it so much as a kid that I think I still just like it. It's, you know, it, it's like I can really still appreciate the, the even as far back as the 60s stuff with Doctor Who. Like, it, it's it's what it is, but I enjoyed it. They come to believe it's possible to communicate and understand the crystalline entity. The doctor says she's going to try a new graviton issue. She's going to do it uh, straight uh, signal without varying the graviton uh, signal. And she is, seems a little sketchy there, but not enough to raise the hackles on anybody on the bridge. The entity immediately stops responding. The captain wants her to go back what she had been doing, but she refuses. And everybody else just talks and talks and say, you should really do what the captain says. Nobody like leaps into action, which is fascinating. Um, Troy says something is very wrong after the music has already told her that. Thanks, Troy. <laughs> told us all that. Uh, so that's it, it, everybody. We'll see you next time on a re-engage. I did it for you, Rennie. Uh-oh, she's gone full bonkers. Um, the entity eventually explodes. Picard has Worf escort the doctor to her quarters and Data volunteers to uh, step in between because they haven't smashed yet. <laughs> <laughs> Picard says that's wonderful and he allows it. She's happy, holds Data's hand, and uh, Data says he's going to stay with her in her quarters. She's comforted by the fact that they might, uh, Rennie might live forever in Data. She asks for Data's help because she needs Rennie's forgiveness. And Data says, I can't find any file in the journal that will let me do that. He extrapolates the idea, though, that he would not be happy with what she's done and judge her harshly. I'm very sorry, Doctor. I cannot help you. And that's the end. I like the end. It's sudden. He ruins her life. <laughs> yes, absolutely. With Without any fucking hesitation, just no, fuck off, you're going to hell. And your son hates you. I'm, I'm kind of in. I, I end up being very upset that they gave Alan Gear such a toothless and boring character and asked her to make the entire episode work in a way that was just strictly impossible. It's the end of the episode. I figure maybe since it ended so abruptly, so can we. Uh, Jimmy, give us your final thoughts on this wonderful episode. I'm going to give this three double entendre, which means I give it a six. <laughs> Fair. Uh, it was okay. Uh, I thought they missed the mark with having such a great actress in the role and not really uh, exploring the things they could have for her to really chew on the scenes even more. Uh, I love the idea of uh, Data being a, a repository of her dead son. And, you know, that, that whole debate between, you know, is this thing that has killed tens of thousands of uh, sentient life? Uh, you know, does that equate to, well, it still has a right to exist. Like that was a real meaty conversation that is handled in like one little line or two um, and not as big as it, I think, should have been. So six for me, you cannot watch this and still really 
know the TNG universe, like you can skip over it and it won't impact uh, what you take away from from this great show. Fair. Agreed. Greg, Tito, what were your final thoughts on this episode? <laughs> and give us a rating, sir. I, uh, I, I'm going to say, I think seven bottles of wine that Riker brings with him, uh, no, no matter where he goes, uh, in case there's a smashing <laughs> going to occur. Um, I, I did like this episode more than I thought I would in investigating it. It, it, it tries to get to something that I find very fascinating of like where, you know, where are we on the ecological scale, right? Like, are we the alpha? We as humans, are we, you know, it's okay to eat any animal that we want uh, because we are hunters and we need it for sustenance. And is that morally okay versus the idea that things have sentience and whether or not that's okay to eat those things? And you're like, where does that go in this idea? It doesn't really explore any of that because it's really all just about uh, this character's uh, personal obsession, I guess, with the crystalline entity. And I also thought that the crystalline entity itself was a wasted opportunity because I connect it so much with data and lore and that ongoing story. But that really wasn't what this was about either. Like I, there's the details of how we got introduced to to data and his brother, but it's really not about what makes those episodes cool either, um, which found uh, like a lost opportunity. It was, uh, I thought, pretty well acted. I mean, like you said, the the the, the bones of the script was not uh, uh, amazing, but I thought that uh, Ellen Gear did a fantastic job with this character. It made me at least understand where they were coming from. And then when the, the scene on the bridge where she is putting those Graviton pulses and the fact that she does refer to Data as her son, uh, that's, you're right. I was like, mm, there is a uh, mental break happening here. Um, but Troy, whose job it is to know this and perhaps work with people is not a big part of this episode. And I think it, it probably, if I was a ship's counselor, I would have been talking to this woman uh, pretty much throughout her entire time on here instead of the uh, emotionless android, uh, uh, you know, being her her confidant here. Um, so weird protocol stuff. Uh, it ends up being a pretty powerful episode, I think, though, for me uh, still with uh, with seven bottles of wine. Strong. Strong seven it is. Kate Yeager, hit me with your thoughts and give me a rating. Here's the thing. Fuck all y'all. I'm giving it eight memorable desserts. And it's because <laughs> it is so horny in the beginning. There's two just performances by women that I dig in this universe. And I'm giving it eight on their laurels alone. Uh, I'm skipping the story having gigantic holes and things that are just wrong and going purely with my visceral experience of a just uh, being shocked that that opening scene would have been allowed in 1991 and trying to imagine um, how many of those entendres would have gone right over my head. Uh, I don't think they would have, though. I think I was in I think I was in eighth or ninth grade. So I can just imagine being titillated by the salaciousness of it all. And I just think that I, I get that she was given a, 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 a lot of crappy character details to have to deal with. But uh, remind me the wonderful actress's name that we've been talking about. Ellen Gear. Ellen, thank you, Gear. Uh, it's just... I recognize so much how she had to take a script that wasn't great and make it work. And on that, the, the, the back of her alone, right, is why I'm giving it this, this slightly larger number is because I felt for her 100%. And, and I am want to, to be like you, Eric, and like, all life deserves to be heard. And why can't we just like all get along and shit? But like through her eyes, I was like, oh, fuck no, I get it. Like, you know, and I do say, you know, it does make it more complicated, the the crystalline entities past because of lore, right? And they don't really sort of use that as an argument um, with Picard as I wish that they had sort of a counter argument to what he was saying because I would have liked to have seen what he would have responded to that right because we talk about whales and sharks eating cuttlefish but when whales and sharks start eating humans we start to go hmm I think we can take care of that 
So it's it's more complicated <laughs> than uh, than I think either side makes it out to be. They're very clear cut, black and white about it. Where I'm like, there are so many shades of gray that are are not explored in this. Uh, but Ellen, I just salute you, and uh, horny Carmen, uh, I salute you. Eight, eight, eight memorable desserts. I absolutely love that, and I agree with every single thing you said. And so I give it a three. <laughs> three wasted characters by incredible uh actors and designers i i'm so frustrated at the loss of the crystalline entity as a as a character it could have gone so many ways they could have even tried to kill it like they did and the explosion resulted in Twenty-five thousand new crystalline entities that all sped away. Oh, that would have been a better episode to show the the kind of reaction uh, to seat of your pants warfaring. And then we have kind of a continuation of one of the most interesting uh, villain slash uh, unknowable alien species in Star Trek history. But we we instead just lose the ability to ever explore the crystalline entity again, which is fucking weird. I'm pissed on behalf of Alan Gear, which is, for me, I take numbers off for that. <laughs> and, of course, Carmen could have been a really fun recurring role as well. There's no reason she had to be one of the ones who die, especially if we don't let Riker explore any of those fucking feelings. It just seems like so many wasted opportunities. I'm a big fan of the acting throughout. I, I just think the, the episode itself is weak. <laughs> and uh, that's kind of where I land on it. I had a ball discussing it with all of you, as mm. always. Such a ball that my pants are now wet. <laughs> oh. That opening scene did, did so much for so many of us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's it, everybody. We'll see you next time. On a re-engage. Thank you so much for riding along with us on this episode of Re-Engage. Next week, we continue our mission with the next episode of the fifth season of Star Trek The Next Generation. Follow Re-Engage on Blue Sky and the site formerly known as Twitter at ReEngageTNG to get updates when episodes are published. You can follow our various cultural bridge officers. Kate Yeager is at Yeagerlicious. Eric Curry is at Eric Falls Down. Greg Tito is visible at gregtito.com and at Greg Tito on Twitter and Blue Sky. Jimmy G is at the Jimmy G on Insta. Reengage is edited by Greg Tito, Kate Yeager, or Jimmy G. Logo artwork is by MojoJojo underscore 97 on Twitter or Mojo97.com. Theme music is by Ryan Marth. Thanks for listening. Join us next week as we re-engage. <laughs>